who currently works as head of sales of recent startup Flipdish. Along with this, he also is director at Tiny Islands, in which he carries out multiple roles within the business and events. With this also, he is a a past pupils of St. Michael's College. And to kick it all off, the usual, how are you today, Ronan? Doing very well today. Thanks very much for having me on the show, Richie. No worries. You're you're welcome back to uh, your humble old school. Old school. It has changed a little bit, though. There's a few more buildings, a couple more rooms in here now as well, which is, uh, which is good to see. And on that subject, um, what would your memories of your school days be? Like, what would be the ones that would pop out to you? Yeah, lots of, I suppose, fond memories of St. Michael's. Um, I suppose rugby was, and as I've heard a lot of people say, uh, core to one of the, the memories that I have here, um, having played, you know, from the age of eight up until... Um, up until last year, um, when I unfortunately broke my back playing rugby over in Australia. So I decided uh, at the age of 34, it was time to retire from rugby, but I had a good stint. But yeah, lots of uh, fond memories, you know, whether it being the underage teams, the under-13s, JCT, SCT, lots of great memories playing rugby in Michaels, and lots of lessons learned from rugby um, and what we were taught by the, the coaches about team working uh, and practice and a lot of lessons that I was able to take into uh, my future careers as well. Super. And on the more academic side of things, would you consider yourself or look back at yourself and see yourself as a role model student or were you kind of a bit of a messer? Did you struggle academically? Were you strong? So that's a, it's a good question because um, a lot of the subjects that I studied, I didn't have a, a huge amount of interest in them. Yeah. Um, and I think I probably would have been considered a good student. I was probably sort of like B's and A's and stuff of like that the whole way through. But um, ironically, the reason I, uh, I studied uh, was because I was a little bit of a messer, but I realized there was a bit of, uh, bit of smoke and mirrors. If you, uh, if you sort of did well at rugby and your grades were up, nobody sort of questioned you. So I was probably able to get away with a, a few things um, because people just thought I was sort of a good student. But, you know, I wasn't say I was a complete messer at my thought. I think the teachers probably would have thought I was quite good. But there's a few few bowl things I did that I got away with because everyone just thought I was yeah well sure he's playing rugby and he's doing well in school so we'll we'll leave him alone you know swept it under the carpet a little bit a little bit yeah well that's fair enough and once you get through obviously the the adventure of St. Michael's College as a student uh, did you go straight into college or where did you go after sixth year in the leaving cert? Yeah, so straight into college. So I remember when I was filling out the CAO forms and uh, I was thinking, do you know what? I'd, I'd love to do something a little bit different. You know, everyone's going to UCD or, or Trinity. Um, and I'd actually filled out the CAO to do a communications uh, course in DCU. And at the last minute, um, you know, having sat down and chatting with my dad, I sort of changed my mind and went the more traditional path with yeah. uh, commerce in UCD. Up Nutley Lane. Yeah, absolutely. Just a stroll up the road. Yeah. So nice and easy. But uh, one of the things I did do was uh, I tacked Spanish onto that as well. So I did commerce in Spanish, which was fantastic because it gave me the opportunity to do an Erasmus. Okay. It was actually part of the course. So I did have to spend a year in, uh, in Madrid. 
Um, funny enough, though, about UCD, we uh, arrived into Commerce and Spanish uh, day one, and um, there was 15 people on the course in UCD. Um, out of those 15, 12 uh, were girls and three were guys. And uh, the two guys were uh, Zach DC and Michael Mitchell from St. Michael's the same year. So yeah. three Michael's guys all gotten into this, this one course that was up in UCD. So that was uh, pretty funny when we all arrived in. Must have been a bit like a zoo, going from an all-boys school and then suddenly being and three then, guys in your own. Wham, bam. Yeah, exactly. It, it was a bit. Yeah, it took a bit of uh, getting used to. It wasn't the same sort of like slagging or banter that you're used to in, um, in an all-boys school. You have to be a little bit more polite and, yeah. and formal, but I guess that comes with, uh, with growing up as well. Fair enough. And you mentioned there that you studied Spanish, and on the last, last podcast I had with Joe, he was speaking about how he learned French at an early, uh, an early age. And it came really helpful in his latter years to go abroad and work abroad mm-hmm. in France. Like, how, how important did you think it was, actually, to learn Spanish as a second language? And if so, did it come in handy in future years when you were looking for jobs or other experiences? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's hugely important to uh, learn a second language because it gives you the option to travel or work abroad. Mm. Um, I actually have some Spanish family. So my auntie is married to a Spanish man and all my cousins are Spanish. So um, I probably learned more Spanish in two weeks in Spain on my Erasmus when I went to visit my cousins. And they live in this really small town in Spain, but they have this a big festival on every year, wine festival. So you probably come across the running of the bulls of the tomato festival. This is like a lesser known festival um, entirely based on drinking wine and uh, having a big wine fight. And it's a two week (laughs) festival with it's, it's basically like a mini electric picnic for two weeks. Except when I went there, nobody in the town really spoke English, maybe one or two people. So you had absolutely no choice but to speak Spanish, which was fantastic because you just learn it. And, you know, you've had a few vinos every day as well. So the confidence is up and you're not too worried about making a mistake. Um, And then more recently before um, coming back to uh, Ireland after almost 10 years in Australia, I had uh, traveled through South America um, and that was very handy in obviously the Spanish speaking territories because yeah. it was easy to get around, organize transport, book a tour, all that sort of stuff. So I was, I suppose, a little bit of a, a pillar for a lot of people I met along the way to help them get around and travel. So highly beneficial. And I guess if you can learn it from a young age, it's going to help you in your, well, leaving cert as well, have like a, a subject almost ticked off the list before you go. So I guess probably all of parents now you see them getting their kids learning irish from a young age or another language but maybe an old pair or someone looking after the kids mm-hmm. so yeah i anyone who wants to learn a language get on board and definitely try and travel or study abroad because it just opens your eyes to a whole world of, of new experiences and would you be fluent or would you be close to our 50 right now i'd be i'd be good yeah uh two points i'd say i was very good <laughs> um so it comes back to me it comes back to me like i wouldn't be i wouldn't be perfect but i could definitely hold my own in a, a conversation uh like i've helped people with uh business negotiations in spanish as well okay it hasn't been perfect but i think the key thing for me is i i'm not really worried about making a mistake when i'm speaking a language and uh, my key concern is communication and the fact that the other person understands me it doesn't need to be grammatically perfect for me when i'm speaking another language but the important thing is communication yeah yeah okay and it said there that once you finished uh, your degree in ucd that you went abroad to australia and basically how did that come about or basically why did you make the decision to move yeah, absolutely. So it was, it was sort of based on the Erasmus. Now, I didn't, I didn't go directly over to Australia. Okay. What I did was when I finished UCD, um, it was quite interesting because there, it's, it's probably changed quite a lot now, but 
back in the day there was sort of a prescribed path where you know you go to St Michael's uh, you try and do well and you're leaving cert you head to UCD or Trinity usually a focus on finance or law or medicine they'd be the traditional paths Uh, I did commerce so it was sort of broad uh, I suppose business subjects Uh, really liked studying business here with Dave Wilson as well really enjoyed his class but at the end of that I didn't quite feel like I had uh, found the right path so I actually got into real estate uh, and I was an estate agent here in Dublin for two years working with uh, Hamilton Osborne King, uh, which was then bought by Savills. Um, And that was my, uh, I suppose, first real introduction into the world of sales. And sales, I found in Ireland when I left college was a little bit of a, a dirty word. It didn't matter what you were selling. Uh, you were still sort of considered a used car salesman. You know, that was sort of the general attitude. Um, I think that's changed a huge amount what with the amount of technology companies who are based here in Dublin now where sales is considered a proper full-time career and something to be proud of but did that for two years that was an absolutely fantastic learning experience about the psychology of sales because I was working selling houses worth half a million up to I think 1.3 million was the, the highest one I sold and when I left college I looked about 12 years old as well so you know dealing with people in their 30s 40s 50s 60s and above who essentially just saw a child in front of them trying to sell them like a million dollar property was quite a challenge so I really had to start learning about the psychology of people and how to connect with individuals so that you could really take the sale away from the sale and really um, provide a solution to the needs of the person who was in front of you Um, and then with that knowledge um, I decided you know what I I don't feel like I'm ready just to completely 100% immerse myself in the workforce I wouldn't mind doing a little bit of traveling and wouldn't mind doing a little bit of study as well so a friend of mine uh, again another Michaels guy had uh, studied in Australia for a year and recommended a university over there University of New South Wales Um, and they had quite a prestigious uh, marketing course um, that was over there that I really wanted to study to back up my sales knowledge Um, I didn't qualify for the course so I may have doctored my uh, CV a little bit when I sent it over just to say I had more experience in the field of marketing than I actually did Um, and it was eventually accepted um, which was great but then I got to the course and I was one of the youngest people on the course um, and probably one of the least experienced but what was absolutely fantastic was a lot of people on the course um, who were doing their masters in Australia were in their 40s, 50s and above and they had a wealth of knowledge of the marketing space and I probably learned more from those people than I did from the actual course material itself um, and I, I ended up getting quite good marks in the, the course over there as well because I was really, really interested and I got to study living on, by the beach so yeah. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. No, it sounds like you landed not so much on your feet, but it was a lucky enough thing that not so much that you faked it till you made it, but the fact that there were so many more experienced people that it just yeah. seemed like the transition from being a worker to obviously being a real, real pro at what you do, it seemed almost like that was the perfect opportunity and the perfect place for you to be in. Oh, and no, I think you're right. I definitely faked it till I faked it. <laughs> I think that's something, you know, you, you can do, not with everything. You know, it's not like the movie Catch Me If You Can. I'm not going to go out and pretend to be a, yeah, a doctor or a lawyer. Checks. Yeah. But uh, it's something you can do if you've got the belief in yourself to be able to um, understand what's possible and you know that there's a path and a process to achieve what you want to do. Just set yourself the goal of doing that and then learn how to do it along the way. You know, if you can do 20, 30, 40% of something, um, you can probably do the rest. You just need to learn it. So mm. a little bit of uh, faking it till you make it definitely works. 
So I wouldn't, I wouldn't obviously tell people to be going out and don't, don't <laughs> falsifying stuff. It. But yeah. have uh, have confidence in yourself and believe that you can actually achieve the things you want to. And what what shocked you initially? Because on on other um, of the of, sorry the old episodes, they would even Tom or even say with Peter, pretty much all of them when they went abroad, whether it was to places in Europe, the United States. Australia, what mm-hmm. kind of shocked you the most that once you left, obviously, the Irish culture behind you for a few years, what basically shocked you the most about mm-hmm. Australia as a country? Um, I think what shocked me the most initially was my change in mindset. So I had left Dublin at the age of about, what was I, 24 when I left. And a lot of people here were working for a couple of years. They're starting to get mortgages, buy houses. And there was a huge amount of pressure to uh, almost settle down or get your foot in the property ladder and stuff like that. And um, even though I was working in real estate, I didn't buy anything at the time. And that was definitely a good decision in hindsight, given what happened to the market over here. But those pressures that existed in Irish society and didn't seem to exist at all when I went over to Australia. So that was uh, a very freeing experience because once I got my head around that, I didn't feel uh, shackled down by the prescription of a a Dublin life, you know, which is, you know, your school, college, job, house, married kids and stuff like that. And I think uh, that was beneficial for me because it allowed me to pursue other things I probably wouldn't have uh, had I continued along that path in Ireland. And that's why I always encourage people to maybe um, take a a trip abroad or a year out before you go to college or something like that and just try something new so it opens your eyes up to different experiences and you might actually find something that you're you're passionate about that you can apply your skills to as well. Okay. Um, And what were your highlights because... Um, it says here that you've been, you were there for several years. Mm-hmm. Um, what were your highlights from a, a job point of view or any experiences you had at the time? Yeah. Basically, what, what were the highlights of your time in Australia and what did you learn from them? Yeah, absolutely. So there was a, uh, a couple of different highlights. Um, I worked with a, a number of startups over in Australia, which was great to learn that environment, um, some of them being uh, music startups. So my first job over there was working with a ticketing technology company. So I arrived over and got to um, study during the week, uh, work part-time for this company, and then every weekend I was at a music festival. So that was a great highlight when you're going, traveling at the start. Um, I also got the opportunity to work with um, some big record labels as well in sales roles, um, helping them establish their digital technologies and platforms. So um, we actually rolled out the first music streaming service in Australia for Samsung um, with EMI Music. So that was a huge highlight. Um, and then getting to work for an organization like LinkedIn as well, uh, that was absolutely fantastic because their sales training and the culture in a company like that is very different than anything I'd experienced beforehand. And I learned so much there. And again, one thing I liked about that, it was very similar to my marketing course in the sense that there was so many good people working in that organization that you learn from them. Um, and you always sort of like push yourself to the next level. And sorry to interrupt, but what mm. role, what what was your job title when you worked with uh, LinkedIn? With LinkedIn, I was an account executive for Talent Solutions, so effectively selling their recruitment license, which gives you access to the entire LinkedIn database. Okay. So we would work with like managing directors, HR directors, and help them implement recruitment technology. 
Um, and yeah, so sale, that was a sales role again. So I've always worked, uh, apart from real estate, uh, I've always worked with like technology, uh, a lot of startups, a lot of sales. So those are some of the sales highlights. But another uh, highlight that I really enjoyed was when I set up an events company. Um, it was quite funny how it started because I'd been uh, doing quite a bit of DJing over in Sydney and I was out on a date and uh, it was a girl I quite fancied and we'd gone out like paddleboarding one day and there was this um, little venue, they called them RSLs, their services leagues for uh, retired soldiers and people from the military and had this absolutely amazing deck looking out over Rose Bay and we were just having a drink there afterwards and I sort of said, look, this place would be so great to put on like a little mini festival and you could do this and you could do that and uh, uh, the girl I was there with Zara, she just said, well, why don't you? And I was like trying to impress her. So like, yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> so I went up and checked with the, the girl at reception to see if they had any dates available. And they only had um, one Saturday available uh, during the summer. And it was the same Saturday that there were three really big music festivals on in or around Sydney. So the competition yeah. was going to be pretty huge. But I just booked it anyway and just said, right, I'll figure out how, how to do this. So conveniently for me, my uh, brother, John, he has worked in the music and events industry for years. So he was uh, one of the guys that started the Bernard Shaw pub in town with Body Tonic. Um, so he had a wealth of experience. So I actually, uh, a couple of weeks later, I was in Vietnam. So my family flew in from all around the world. And uh, I sat down at my brother for about three hours and I just said, look, I've got this event coming up, I've booked the venue, um, what do I need to do? And just had a pen and paper and notepad and literally just took out all his tips that he had from ticketing, marketing, setup on the day, security, the works, and just implemented everything he said. And then out of the back of that was born uh, Tiny Islands, which yeah. you uh, mentioned earlier on. Um, so that is, I suppose, an event um, company and DJing company as well but from that like I ended up um, organizing multiple events um, as well so I did um, I suppose a big festival for the guys at Boost Mobile um, over in Australia and we ended up like shooting a big music video so you can see that on the tinyislandsevents.com website as well and um, organized corporate Christmas parties for LinkedIn um, did a lot of uh, fitness festivals as well with a friend of mine Libby who's quite a big celebrity personal trainer over in Australia uh, and I suppose, as I don't know if it was mentioned earlier on, but I do a lot of personal training as well. Um, again, that's off the back of rugby doing weights in here uh, with Mr. Hartnett, I think, when I was 13 back in the day and, you know, progressing through. So I started then matching music to, uh, to fitness. Um, and I do, uh, since I've moved back, I've started doing some fitness and music events in, in Ireland as well. Okay. So a couple of different highlights from uh, events and music to working with some great organization and, and sales. But again, being in another country, it was just all these opportunities I saw that I probably wouldn't have seen if I'd stayed here. But coming back to Ireland now, um, it's a very different country. And yeah. I see that there are all these opportunities here, but my eyes are, are open to them at this stage. Okay, sweet. Summed that up perfectly, pretty much. Um, good, good, thank you. <laughs> no worries. Um, to touch on it there, as like even as you mentioned, that's something you currently do. Like what got you into DJing? Because traditionally, I'm trying to think of it's it's not exactly the the main the mainstream version of what most people want to do they mm -hmm. want to pick up a guitar they want to do drums so mm -hmm. what what basically want made you kind of go actually I want to learn how to be a DJ I yeah. actually want to make music that is DJ rather than picking up guitar and trying to play an Ed Sheeran song yeah yeah okay so it is a little bit different all right but um as i mentioned my brother John 
He has been a DJ since he was uh, 15. He got a set of techniques uh, for his junior search once he got his results. Um, not quite sure he deserved the techniques, but uh, <laughs> he got them anyway, and it's led to a great career for him. So that really got me interested in the music scene. Um, and it was very different than what people were listening at the time. Like he was playing a lot of house music, which um, at the time in the mid 90s was pretty much exclusively reserved for the gay scene in Dublin. Yeah. It hadn't progressed into mainstream. Um, and the guys were trying to bring this this uh, genre of music to the forefront of what parties are. And they really helped to escalate that in the Dublin scene um, with the likes of Body Tonic. Um, I remember they did the first electric pick as well i was just back in spain and the next day was down at the first electric picnic ended up like hanging out with grandmaster flash and arrested <laughs> developments and all that sort of stuff so i was involved in the scene from the young age also i grew up on lansdowne road as well opposite the stadium and uh, people call it the aviva now but i can't get past yeah, no, it, it, has to be road. it does it does so like when i was a kid we used to like build stages for michael jackson and all the big stars that were performing at lansdowne so music was always a part of my life but I think I was about 28 or 29 over in Australia and I was in um, a bar down in Melbourne and I was like, the DJ there was just terrible. And I was like, I literally could definitely do this better. And the next day I just ordered a small MIDI controller and started to teach myself um, how to how to DJ. Um, again, chatted to my brother about it as well and eventually started to get gigs. I just went out there and promoted myself. Again, probably tell people I was a better DJ than I actually yeah. was, but it worked. Um, you got the gigs. Um, and I started doing it that way. So, yeah, it's not your traditional path, but I think a lot of us these days, we go to bars and nightclubs, we mightn't realize, but there is a DJ there that's trying to control the atmosphere of the bar, yeah. get people dancing, get people to stay. Um, and the type of DJ I do, house music is uh, one of my preferred genres, but I like to do uh, multi-genre mixing as well. Um, so a lot of people could come to my parties and enjoy them because there'll be songs that they recognize. There might be a remix of them to actually work with the set that I'm playing, but they'll be quite enjoyable. Um, and later on in the year, um, if there's any uh, Michael students or ex-students interested, I'm actually going to be running a uh, DJ competition as well. So effectively what we're going to do, um, I'm just in speaking to a couple of different uh, training colleges for DJs, is no experience necessary. Um, you get six weeks of DJ training, so uh, one day every weekend. And at the end, you should be versed enough to be able to play a set. We're hoping to have between 20 and 30 finalists and everyone's going to get a 15 to 20 minute set and then we're going to pick a winner. Um, and then we're looking to do prizes for the winners of sets at different events and festivals and stuff a lot. So uh, I'll keep you posted on yeah, that one. That'll be happening idea. later on in the year, um, probably around October. So we'll be doing promo in September for that um, and getting the competition up and running October and probably November will be the, the finals. So if anyone's interested in that, you can go on to the tinyislandsevents.com and register on the website. I don't have the competition details up there but just shoot me an email and i'll um i'll keep you posted when that's coming up super yeah no i was thinking of my my clash with the leaving cert and junior surf, but the fact it doesn't uh hopefully we get plenty of applicants but um, absolutely i'll make sure to link that um and then touching on that you then you, you have your experiences in australia and then like you come back to ireland obviously which mm -hmm. where we are now what we are what i think <laughs> well it's raining so it's we're definitely in ireland yeah, yeah we're back, back. yeah um, and what, what made you come back or basically what was the decision or the moment where you're like, okay, it's time to go back to Ireland? Yeah, well, I'd been thinking about coming back to Ireland for quite a number of years. Uh, my intention when I left wasn't to be out of the country for a decade. It yeah. was to go for one or two years. But obviously things change. I think the, the economy being a bad factor 
back here at the time meant I stayed over there. But the decision was I had uh, just finished up with one role. Um, I wasn't seeing anyone at the time as well. So I think being uh, single is a lot easier to move around than having um, a wife or kids and a family and stuff like that. So I decided, do you know what? I'd actually, I'd been, I'd been invited to DJ in... Um, in Bali at a friend's wedding and then two weddings in Ireland that were all a few weeks apart. So I finished up one role and I decided, right, I'm going to give Ireland a try. I'm going to move back. But I had the luxury of being able to go to Bali first and then flew to Ireland, then flew to Argentina and then traveled all my way up um, South America, skipped a little bit of Central America, went up to New York to see my brother do the New York Marathon and then to visit my sister in Toronto, uh, back to New York for the McGregor fight and then back down to Colombia for a few weeks holiday and then back to Ireland. So that was... That Take, was taking the long way home. <laughs> literally <laughs> yeah. the most expensive non-planned trip around the world ever, but thoroughly enjoyed myself and would do it all over again. So... But yeah, the decision really was, I had the opportunity, I was I was single, so I wasn't tied down, there was a role finished up, um, and I thought, if I don't do it now, um, that's it, I'm not doing it, I'm not coming back from Australia, and I really wanted to give Ireland a go, because I've been hearing so many positive things about what's happening mm. in the, the country. Um, personally, I don't feel a uh, like I'm grounded or rooted or fixed anywhere, I could... Um, move back to Australia in 10 years time you know I've got my passport and all that sort of stuff now I want to give Ireland um, you know extended stay and set up a few businesses and continue to grow the flip dish business as well which is um, going absolutely fantastically at the moment so if there's any investors out there who are interested um, our revenues are growing at over 20% month on month which is a very positive sign and so yeah I want to work with the guys expand that out grow that business and then continue to work on my um, sort of music and then fitness career as well and would it be is it your personal preference to work several jobs at once or is it just pretty much a case of you know just they just kind of just popped up and you're like okay I'll take them or was it just I want to have as many possible uh, opportunities and jobs at once so that that's a really interesting question so uh, on one hand it's it's partly to do with my personality like I've got way too much energy and I can't sit still so I love working all the time um, and on the other hand I remember in 2008 over in Australia I was due to get a visa with one company but they'd been bought by another and um, I wasn't able to get that visa so I had to finish up in the role that I was in with that company I had a, a 10 grand student loan as well that I needed to pay back to the bank uh, I had no job. I was going to get kicked out of the country if I didn't get a visa. Um, and I had to live off a credit card for um, probably about a month and a half or something like that until I got myself all sorted out. So you can see like you're paying your rent, your food, everything, your bills are mounting up. You still got a loan to pay off. So I decided I wanted to have additional uh, revenue streams outside of working in sales. Um, and that's when I started thinking about doing personal training as well um, and did my course. I think I didn't do my course for another couple of years till about 2012, but it was in the back of my mind that I'd love to do um, other things that could generate revenue should I fall in hard times um, on a sales role. But uh, what I've noticed in sales is there seem to be more sales jobs on when an economy is down because companies need people to, yeah, to, to sell stuff. So it's actually quite convenient. But yeah, as I said, it's part of my personality as well. Like I love to work. You know, like I'll, um, I'm up in the morning pretty early. Uh, I actually get up a little bit later over in Ireland, like only seven o'clock. Like in Australia, I was up at half five in the morning. I used to go down to the beach and do training. Then I go back up home, do a bit of work beforehand, um, just shoot into to one of my job where I was working at the time, and then come home, play rugby 
and then do a bit of work on the weekends, organizing events or DJing and stuff like that and do a bit of personal training. That was great. I actually used to do PT down in Bondi Beach. So you get up in the morning two, three days a week. You're up at like half five down there for six, training 30 or 40 people on the beach. It's very different than the class I have in Sandy Mount Strand at the moment now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so partly personality um, and uh, partly just uh, give myself protection. You know? Okay, great. And you mentioned flip dish there and I want to kind of, dive into that a bit mm-hmm. more it's like what does that is that from what i understand that's a you know a food order an app yeah and basically how does it work what is what is its kind of selling points mm-hmm. well one of the things i love about flip dish is how it started so it was started by two brothers from st michael's connor mccarthy and james mccarthy um, Connor um, and James, they're both, um, I suppose, serial om- entrepreneurs. They've had multiple uh, really successful businesses. Uh, some, one of the ones the Michaels guys might know is like the Christmas shirt company, which are those like cheesy, sorry, James, cheesy <laughs> Christmas shirts um, that people wear around town. Um, you know, that you have the likes of Killian Murphy or Killian Scott like yeah. wearing and stuff like that. And so he, he had started that business. Uh, Connor had some... Um, online businesses associated with uh, poker playing as well that were just really clever businesses and connor's connor's a tech guy so he's the developer and he was really frustrated with the food ordering services that are out there so you've got like plenty of ones like uh, just eat and deliveroo but he was just disgusted with the user experiences of ordering on mobile because a lot of these platforms are web-based and they haven't really thought about the uh the mobile user experience they've just translated what they had on web into mobile so connor said i can do better and he went out and built um, an ordering app for restaurants and in his mind he thought maybe i'll do an aggregation service like just eat and have all the restaurants on there but he took it out to a couple of restaurants himself and James and they showed it to the owners and managers and they were like, this is brilliant. Do you know what we would love? Rather than another aggregation service, we would actually love to have our own app for our restaurants so we can own the relationship between um, the restaurant and the consumers. So when Connor had decided to create something that was good for customers like you and me ordering mm. uh, food, what he'd actually done was gone and created a really powerful mobile-first marketing platform for restaurants. Um, and that's had a, a huge impact on a lot of businesses. And we can see some really interesting trends happening in the market at the moment. So I sat down with a client yesterday who had decided that uh, Flipdish wasn't right for them. Yeah. And I wanted to sit down and sort of explain why it was going to be beneficial for their business based on consumer trends. So the way the, the business operates is we, we want to be really close to our clients. So every couple of days, um, we're all on call. So you might call the customer service line and you might get through to the CEO, you might get through to me, you might get through the customer support, you might get through to one of the tech guys. We just want to get an understanding of customers and clients. So I'm actually on call tonight after yeah. this. Like I said, keep working all the time. But I was sitting at home and I'll ask you the same question. So I was sitting at home um, on order support, watching all of the orders come through from the hundreds of restaurants that we power around Ireland, the UK and the Middle East. And I was seeing something that uh, this time last year I wouldn't have expected. So 10, 11 o'clock at night, what sort of uh, restaurants or what sort of orders would you assume would be coming through to us? I would say mostly... Well, at that time of night, people are obviously looking for dinner. So, like, pizzas, um, I don't know, chips, burgers, stuff like that, all the late-night type foods, mm-hmm. rather than maybe a, a lovely uh, steak. Yeah, and that's that's exactly what I would have assumed. Mm. 
Um, and that's the assumption that the business I was speaking to yesterday had as well, that it was going to be uh, takeaway and fast food. So some of the highest order volumes that we get during the week at the moment are for the likes of Chopped, the Salad House, yeah, yeah. Koku, Sprout, and it's breakfast orders and lunchtime orders because people are so time short and so health conscious that they're going to order a nice healthy porridge and a salad for lunch and they're going to come into the store at 8.30 and they're going to collect it and they don't want to queue. They also don't want to waste their lunchtime standing in a queue um, to pick up something healthy. So it's this whole new trend in Ireland and around the world as well. It probably happened in Australia a couple of years ago where people got just that little bit more health conscious. Um, so it's a huge trend. So that's when I sat down with the guys yesterday. They're like, okay, well, this actually makes sense for our business and yeah. the type of food that we have. And it gives them the opportunity to build a, a database of customers. We've got a whole heap of marketing solutions on the back end of Flipdish as well that allows um, restaurants to, I suppose, build that relationship, retarget their consumers with messaging as well, um, and get them to sort of come back for uh, repeat purchase and repeat orders. So yeah, absolutely great platform for restaurants. But interestingly enough, we have a... Uh, there's an Irish guy called Pierce who owns a, a butcher over in the United Arab Emirates. Okay. And he's a really fantastic customer of ours. Like we, we, we just didn't think this. He, he contacted us, said, look, I've got this butcher over here. People want to get stuff delivered. I need an app. And it's just working absolutely phenomenally over there as well. So we're starting to think what sort of non-traditional businesses we can work with as well. And I love the fact that Connor and James, the founders, they aren't strict and reserved on who they want to target. They're happy enough to look at what's going to be good for our business, what's going to be good for our clients as well. So, yeah, if there's any, I, I know we have been speaking to Tom of Bunsen about just getting an app. He hasn't done it yet, but maybe when he hears the podcast, maybe, he'll maybe. Uh, change his mind. No, that is very interesting because I, I, I actually have never actually thought of actually ordering ahead a day. Mm -hmm. Basically, everything mm -hmm. seems to be, oh, I want to now, want to now, want to now, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but to have people basically getting on the phones ordering in their breakfast or lunch yeah. i never really thought of it that way so that no that is definitely interesting well that's it the stores are printing money at night effectively yeah. yeah so people are like sitting there in bed they're setting their alarm to get up in the morning to go to the gym or whatever and they go right i'm going to order my breakfast straight after the gym because they're just so time poor between yeah. like getting up getting to work having food and stuff like that so yeah it's 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 great to see for these a lot of the health food stores obviously we're still getting high volumes of takeaways as well mm. but it's just a new trend that's happening in the um, the marketplace cool and with obviously having a, a phone-based app being um part of obviously flip dish what would be the biggest challenge that would come about that would it be competition would it be actually setting up an app that's easy to use in your opinion basically what would be the biggest challenge that comes hand in hand with setting up a, a phone mm -hmm. app i think the the biggest challenge initially was getting an understanding of what was going to work for the consumer and what was going to work for the clients and then once the guys had actually developed a solution or a platform that was going to be um, effective for businesses and consumers it was education and educating the market on why it's beneficial to actually have your own app um, and to own the relationship with your customers so if you're on a platform like just eat for example which um, i still think is a great platform for customer acquisition um, i think the just eat guys are just behind us here in michael's <laughs> aren't they so um yeah, it's, it's a great platform for customer acquisition because um, they spend a whole heap of money on marketing to educate the likes of you and me that this platform exists and you can order food on there. So we go on and we order food. But I don't know if you've ordered, have you ordered off Just Eat beforehand? I have a few or times, yeah. A few times. So 
I think when you go onto the app now, like let's say I wanted to order from um, Indie Spice Restaurant, for example, I might jump on to Just Eat and in my head, I was going to order from Indie Spice, but now I get on and I select Indian as my cuisine and I'm looking and there's five promotions on 20% off here or a sponsored ad yeah. by another um, restaurant there. All of a sudden I get distracted and I might go into a different restaurant and end up ordering off them because it was 20%. So there's a couple of things happening there. One, uh, Just Eat is turning into a bit of a marketplace. So it's like we're walking down like the strip in Tenerife and you got all these guys waving yeah. flyers trying to get you into their bar. Um, and two, the, the, the restaurant is potentially missing out on their loyal customers. So what we're saying is, look, definitely still use the likes of Just Eat for customer acquisition. But once they've ordered once, why not move them or migrate them onto your own platform? Um, especially if you know they're a top co- customer who orders three, four or five times. Why risk them picking someone else? when you can actually have have them on your own app and build a relationship with them. So I think educating the, the market that we're not just an ordering solution, but we're a marketing platform is key. So like Just Eat is for customer acquisition, but we really focus on loyalty and retention. Um, and I think loyalty and retention is key to any business's growth. Acquisition is usually the hard part, um, you know, but keeping customers on there is key to business growth because they're going to order more, their basket size is going to increase. But you do risk or run the risk of those people not coming back to you if you're just using a, a platform or an aggregator like Marvin or Just Eat or Deliveroo um, to to get your customer coming back. So those are the solutions we're trying to solve for clients. Okay, yeah. Well, that all makes sense in my head anyway. Yeah. Well, um, if you've got a restaurant opening up, I know I can get you a great app. So. <laughs> um, and then just to briefly touch on um, Tiny Islands is another um, company in which you're heavily involved in. Mm-hmm. Um but like what's just before we go into that in a bit more detail, what's already struck me and it's it's it was the exact same with um Tom Gleason when I came on talking about the simplicity of a burger and doing it right. Mm-hmm. Like whether it's you getting into DJing and setting up certain festivals or whether it's you being involved in a company that sets up an app, it's all born out of frustration of what's already mm-hmm. on offer. Yeah. And do you think like I'm trying to get a good question out of what I'm trying to say here, but it like it seems that that is a very common trend and that frustration does tend to be the kind of switch in mm-hmm. someone's brain for kind yeah. of, I can actually do better than this, so therefore I'm going to actually just get my entrepreneur kind of blood going yeah. and set up a startup. But um, do you think like that is a good way to follow kind of, as in once you're frustrated about something, go ahead, try fix it, try to make something better yeah no absolutely i see where you're coming from i think that's a, a really good way to do it because if you're frustrated about something um there's a little bit of a fire burning inside you to create a solution um, and that's going to keep driving you to do something better i think a lot of businesses develop out of people's frustrations with the way food is served or the quality of food on, on offer in, in in tom's case so it, it keeps you motivated and it keeps you passionate about it and um, i've started quite a few businesses over in australia that have failed um, mm. and i think that's key as well and what i've noticed is the ones that have failed like e-commerce businesses and stuff like that i've started on paper, they've had the right elements. I've been working with the right people, but there were businesses designed for me just to make money. And sometimes they made money, but I just wasn't interested, so they fell by the, the wayside. But when you actually have something like that that's sort of burning inside you, whether it's a passion or a desire to solve a problem, you're more likely to stay focused on that. And um, So I think it's a great inspiration for people to think, okay, this is a, a problem I'd like to solve. Can I actually 
generate a business out of that. It's one way to look at it. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. No, interesting. And onto tiny islands. Um, basically, what is the goal of mm-hmm. that company? Like, yeah. So tiny islands has a couple of different focuses. Yeah. So um, as a brand, like my DJ name ended up being DJ Tiny Islands because it was just easy because the the company was called that. So one of the things I like doing is actually creating experiences that are different from what's available in the marketplace. So the events I used to run in Sydney were unique locations. So like the the Rose Bay one that like I think only three people who attended that party had ever been there before. They'd never seen the location. So unique location. Um, There's always a theme as well. So like the first one, like everyone turned up in fancy dress. It wasn't a requirement, but everyone just turned up in fancy dress and it just made the atmosphere so much better. Um, and it's got to be hassle-free as well. So it's not hard to get to or there's easy transportation. Essentially, it's just about creating a really memorable experience um, or different cultural events. I love doing collaborations with creative people in uh, in Australia and Ireland. Um, so there's that um, from the, I suppose, the fun side of things. The other goal of the business is fitness events as well. So one event that I've created since I've been back, um, I got back last December, was was uh, Yoga Sound System, which is a Tiny Islands event. So last year, as I mentioned, playing rugby, I uh, I broke my back and decided, right, time to retire from rugby. I'm not built for rugby, so I don't know why I was still playing <laughs> mid-30s, but um, I decided to retire and I had to do a lot of uh, yoga uh, as part of my recovery. And I had been working with a personal trainer to match music to fitness. And I said, this is going to be perfect for yoga. So I actually started that back in, um, I think my first event was in March or April, I think it was. The first one I did, Yoga Sound System. And the interesting thing was that was I put it up, I started a Facebook page, put up the event, started inviting people to it, and then got contacted by multiple people about doing events. So um, we did Well Festival last weekend. Um, We're booked in for Groove Festival. We might be doing Electric Picnic. Um, and we've got our next event coming up next Friday as well, which is in this cool artist studio um, over in Northwall near Connolly Station. So this one's called Gloga. It's glow-in-the-dark yoga. Okay. Um, and we have a social element to it as well. So what I really want to do, um, and I think this will help a lot of rugby players as well, is get them more involved in the likes of yoga and Pilates because we injure ourselves quite a lot playing rugby, yeah. like the amount of broken bones, tight muscles, like slipped hips, everything I've got. Um, I want people to be able to approach something like yoga, which some people feel quite intimidated by, with an element of fun. So introducing social yoga and music has actually gotten quite a lot of people into it. So the first event we did, we were quite surprised. We had a load of beginners, and we had a huge amount of yoga teachers turn up to see what it was like. So that's another thing I want to do is um, match music to fitness and to help create events that encourage more people to get into the likes of yoga and pilates and then finally the the next goal for uh, tiny islands is the dj competition that's i mentioned that's yeah. going to be coming up in october so there's oh god i suppose there's a lot of people out there these days who say they're a dj yeah. you know um and and they're not and i even feel weird calling myself a dj when i see someone like my brother who's just got you know a wealth of experience in the space you know um but what i'd like to do is actually find people who are passionate about music give them the right training and platform they need to um to excel Um, and you can actually use 
DJing as your profession. You can make quite a lot of money out of it if you know what to do. Um, there's a lot of elements that need to be taught outside of the skill. So it's not just about perfect beat matching or mixing your tracks in key or knowing your harmonies, uh, picking a really good set. These days, you got to know how to promote yourself. So I want to teach people about marketing, how to leverage social media to promote their brand, and even just the concept of a, a personal brand uh, for people because they can go on and make a career out of it. So that, that would be the ultimate goal. So working on themed events and experiences, um, fitness events, and then this uh, DJ competition were the three goals for the Tiny Islands business. Nice. Very diverse, which is good to see. Bit of diversity, you yeah. know. Got to have a diverse portfolio, hedge yeah. your bets and all that sort of stuff, you know. Exactly. And to cap it all off, if you think maybe six months' time or even a year's time, it depends on your perspective of what's long-term and short-term, yeah. what would your goals be for the future both from a business point of view mm-hmm. and also from maybe a, an individual point of view yeah so i know from uh, a business point of view i have a personal target of getting up to a thousand clients um, by january for Fliptish. so that's a big goal so i got to push the sales team quite hard to help um, achieve that goal and um, that's going to help us um, in our Series A round of investment as well, if we can achieve those targets. Now, they're very high targets, but the more we uh, we get clients on board, the higher our revenues grow, and yeah. the more we educate them about how they can leverage our solutions, the better their businesses are going to grow as well. So we do have the, um, the client at heart because we really want those businesses to grow and succeed and leverage technology. Um, the Tiny Islands goals, I've just mentioned them. I want to have... Um, sort of one to two themed events or cultural experiences um, set up before the end of the year. I've already set up the fitness events with Yoga Sound System, so I've ticked a few boxes there. And then the DJ competition as well, which will be happening um, in October. So those are my three main goals for that. Uh, I do, like I said, I do personal training as well, but that's more of a, a hobby yeah. at the moment. That's not a, uh, a full business. Um, so I'm teaching like two classes a week down with the guys at Fitness Bootcamp and Sandy Mount, which is great, but that's kind of like rugby training because I do it every Tuesday yeah. and Thursday, so it keeps you in check. But they'd be my uh, my main goals: really establish the Flip Dish brand on the map, not just in Ireland but abroad, um, and then really kickstart the Tiny Islands business in in Ireland, like it was in Australia. Okay, very good. And last but not least is obviously quick fire questions. Oh yeah, so okay, here we go. Pressure's on. Prep yourself, yeah. And first thing that comes in, just say it um so just to kick it all off uh what would your favorite app on your phone be oh flipped it <laughs> any one of them it's just fantastic now i'm all over uh instagram and snapchat i'm like a teenage girl it's ridiculous okay well i think we're all guilty of doing that <laughs> so enough, yeah. you're not uh on your own there what would your favorite social media site be uh social media site like i'm old so facebook do you know what i mean i'm yeah. still on there all the time you know i know a lot of people have migrated through to other ones but yeah facebook and what was your favorite subject in school? Oh, I loved art class with PJ Carroll. That was just the best. That so much fun. Great teacher as well, if people had patience and listened to him. But yeah, PJ was the tops. Okay. And what is your current favorite song? It can be a DJ hit if you want. Uh, Disciples Daylight. Okay. Yeah. Um, would you rather be in a teacher or a learner? Teacher. Okay. Although I love learning, love teaching like i loved coaching and michael's as well did that for a number of years that was great i love that uh, your favorite film oh so stereotypical but like shawshank redemption <laughs> just watched it so many bloody times so yeah love that well it is a good movie it is stereotypical but yeah. it is very good so i don't think people can argue and second last on the list is who would you like to see as the next guest 
on Ooh, this podcast. That's uh, God. There's so many interesting people from from Michael's at the moment. Uh, I mean, I'd love to see my brother just because he's done so much stuff in the music space, but I already know what he's done, so <laughs> that's good. I would suggest um, speaking to someone like John, my brother, Paddy McKillen, who runs the Press Up Group, uh, Ken Kennedy, who's done loads of stuff for the Legal and Finance mm. Network. I think that's really interesting as well. Um, I'll stick with those three for now because I think those guys are, are all great and doing some fantastic things um, in areas that I'm really interested in. But God, if I thought about it, I'd come up with come 10, up 20 with guys. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And last but not least, sum yourself up in one sentence. Big ball of energy. Okay, super. Okay, well, anyway, Ron, thanks a million for coming on. And uh, listen, I wish you all the best with your future um, endeavors with Tiny Islands and Flip Dish. And uh, bear in mind that if I do order food online, the first thing I will check out is Flip Dish. And... uh, very good hopefully it'll be efficient and an enjoyable experience which oh, it I, certainly I, I, will no doubt it will be but, absolutely uh, no listen thanks a million really appreciate it yeah and thanks very much for having me on the show as well Richie these podcasts are absolutely fantastic um, seems you. to be a lot of people listening and really good positive feedback so yeah I can't wait to hear more of them okay. this will be awkward listening to me because your voice always sounds weird when you listen yeah. to it back but just get all the people to do it and it'll be fine exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> okay thanks a million Ron. nice one thank you <laughs>